Come, I'll just uh, begin by sharing. It is a privilege to be able to celebrate with you. I will say that sometimes as we worship, uh, it's easy to get distracted uh, just by other things. I know that uh, even for myself, sometimes I sit in the worship service and there are other things going on in my mind and uh, things that just sometimes they keep you from being able to really worship, whether it's something that's happening at work or something in your family, or maybe it's just that the worship itself is not the type of song you would prefer to sing. Uh, so often we can become distracted and miss out on what true worship is about. It is about celebrating Christ. It's not for my benefit. It's not for your benefit. It's for His benefit to worship Him and to just rejoice. And sometimes it's good just to just to refocus, to take a deep breath and to allow God to speak to you individually. I know that uh, there's been some things that I've been dealing with with some other individuals and this morning it's been a refreshing time of worship for me. I am very grateful for uh, the worship team leading us in that. Uh, I do want to begin this morning, actually, and I don't always do this, but I want to begin with a word of prayer before I begin the message today. Father, I pray that you would uh, allow this time together that we have today to be a blessing to each one who is here. I pray that you would allow us to sense your presence. I pray that you would help us uh, to be able to, to respond to your leading. I uh, pray that each one of us today would be challenged because we've been in your presence and heard your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, I do want to start with a word of thanksgiving to you this morning just to be able to celebrate some things that uh, you have done. Uh, first of all, this past weekend we celebrated Easter, which is obviously a great time for us to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And thank you as a congregation for being willing to meet in the other building this past Sunday. Uh, we had a very large crowd and it would have been really, really difficult to get everyone in this particular room had we stayed in here. So thank you very much for being willing to do that. I also want to thank you for your willingness to serve last Saturday as we were able to go to uh, the Creekwood Village Apartments where we were able to minister to different folks uh, to be able to reach individuals that honestly I'm not sure there are a whole lot of people that are reaching and uh, it was a great opportunity. I think Debbie counted over 40 people from our church that showed up for that event, uh, which is fantastic, and I celebrate that. I know that many of you were not able to be there, but you served as a, a part of this, either through prayer or providing food or other resources to help make that happen. So thank you very much for being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to the community around us. Uh, you have no idea the impact that that has. I will tell you, and sometimes we wonder, does it ever make a difference when we go and do stuff like that? There was at least one family that came to our Easter Sunday services because of the ministry that took place on Saturday. So uh, let me just say thank you to you for being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. I also want to thank the individuals who covered for me this past week while I was gone on vacation. It's always nice to have individuals who are able to do that. Last week I started, uh, I shared about the incredible gift of salvation uh, that Jesus Christ has made available to each of us. We talked specifically about uh, the resurrection, and when I talk about the resurrection, it wasn't just the resurrection of Christ, but we talked about the resurrection of Lazarus uh, that took place, and I emphasized the need for us to begin living 
now as if we have been redeemed and resurrected. Not waiting until our funeral, which is often what we assume we talk about when we're talking about salvation. We were saved for eternal life, and I get that 100%, but the resurrected life doesn't wait until then. Actually, the resurrected life begins the moment that we surrender our lives to Him and we repent of our sins. We are immediately brought into fellowship with the body of Christ. In other words, we must live for Christ now. Well, the question arises for us, what does the resurrected life look like? And a part of what makes this such a great question is that it's not just new believers who often will ask a question like this. You see, there are three groups of people who need to answer this question. Again, I'll repeat the question, what does the resurrected life look like? The first is the one who is brand new in their faith. In their case, they know the need to change, but they really don't know where to begin. There are so many things that need to change within them, but they can't do it all at once. How do you eat an elephant? You guys know the answer, one bite at a time. You can't eat it all at once. And in the same way, as new believers in Christ, we need to have a plan. How do we begin this transformation process that seems so huge and it must begin somewhere? The second group of individuals are those who have been in the faith for a long time, but somewhere along the way, they have lost their way. The resurrected life is on life support. They're hooked up to a machine and scared to death that someone's about to pull the plug on them. These are the folks that are addressed in Revelation chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 when Jesus says, you have forsaken your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. This last challenge in Revelation 2 5 is where a message like this becomes so valuable. If your, spiritual, if your spiritual life is on life support, then it's time for us to go back to the things that we used to do. Go back to the foundation, to the basics. Go back to what we did at first. And then finally, we have those who are walking the resurrected life right now. In their case, everything seems great, but none of us can ever afford to let our guard down. You see, the reality is the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, like a roaring lion, a roaring lion. For some reason, I'm tongue-tied there, and I still am, seeking those whom he may devour. So we must be faithful. You see, there's this idea that somehow we will reach a point where we no longer have to stay focused on Jesus Christ. We look at ourselves and we see individuals who perhaps... Maybe we've done this long enough that it just seems natural. And what happens so often is we let our guard down, and the next thing you know, we find ourselves falling back into sin. So we must be faithful. We must continue to keep our eyes fixed on what God has for us so that we do not go down that wrong path. Well, over the next four weeks, we're going to focus on getting back to the basics And as we look, regardless of which group you're in, my hope is that each of us will be better equipped to walk in the resurrected life. Our text throughout this series will come from the book of Amos. It's an Old Testament passage that, uh, honestly, I don't know if we talk very much about Amos, but he has incredible things to say. 
If you want to turn to Amos chapter 1 already, you're welcome to. We'll read just the first couple of verses this morning. While you're turning there, let me give you some background information on Amos. Amos is likely the oldest of the writing prophets. There were other prophets that had existed prior to Amos, but he is probably the earliest of the writing prophets. His primary message is that the Lord is righteous and that he is just, and that God has very high expectations for his people. His message is written at a time where there is relative prosperity. Many of God's people have significant financial prosperity, yet some do not. Many of God's people also are struggling financially. In fact, it would seem that the people in general have forgotten their history. Remember that the people of Israel and Judah had been an oppressed people. They were under the heavy weight of Egyptian rule. They were slaves. They were in bondage. And God had compassion on them, and he delivered them from that so that they wouldn't have to be slaves again. Unfortunately, by the time Amos writes, they have forgotten that God delivered them from such oppression, and they now oppress one another. So it's no longer an outside force. It's happening from within. Those who are wealthy are oppressing those who are under them. Some would say that it's not all that different from the world in which we live today. Now listen to the words of Amos chapter 1. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa. The vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam son of Jehoash was king of Israel. He said, The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at that and I think, what in the world does that have to do with anything that we're talking about here? We're talking about getting back to the basics and what does this have to do with living the resurrected life? Well, to begin with, it identifies for us that everything must begin with God. Everything about this is God being the standard He's the one who sets the standard by which everyone else and everything else will be measured. You know, one of the greatest places that I've ever lived was Colorado Springs. A part of what made it so beautiful was the mountains. No matter where you were in the springs, you could always look up and you could see the mountains, specifically Pikes Peak. It's a beautiful mountain range. You could be in August and you can still see snow on the top of the mountain. When I would walk out of my house, I'd look to the right and here was Pikes Peak. I'd look to the left and there was nothing, just plains, flat ground where there were antelope that ran all, all day long. It was an incredibly beautiful place. But it wasn't just the beauty of those mountains. There was actually another benefit to the mountains. You see, anywhere you were, if you ever got turned around, all you had to do was to look to find out where the mountain was. If the mountain was to your left, you were facing north. If the mountain was to your right, you were facing south. If you looked and Pikes Peak was a little bit ahead, that means you were in the southern part of Colorado Springs. Basically, there was always a standard to measure. There was a a way to know exactly where you stood. Well, in the same way, God is our standard. And although the world around us may have very different perspectives on what is good and what is right and what is okay for us to do, 
The best thing for us to do is to look to our standard who will always tell us exactly where we really stand with him. The question is not what everybody else thinks. It's what does God think? So everything must begin with God. I want to look at two specific aspects of God being in control and him being really the author of all of this. The first one is dealing with the messenger himself. I told you his name is Amos. He is an ordinary shepherd. He is called out to be God's messenger. Amos was sacrificially obedient to God's call. We're told that he basically leaves his sheep behind. A little bit later, there'll be a reference to him in chapter 7 where he is instructed to go back and to, to take care of sheep again. But the problem is he's already left his sheep behind. You leave sheep behind long enough, you know what they do? They wander away. It's really hard for someone to go back to that. Actually, they typically end up in somebody else's flock. Once he stepped away from that job, basically he didn't have a fallback plan. He's actually not all that different from Matthew, who was the tax collector. Matthew, whom God called to, and he said, hey, I want you to come and follow me. And he got up and he left his tax collector's booth and immediately went somewhere else. Or the rest of the disciples who loved fishing, I think of Peter and James and John and Andrew, these fishermen who that was their life. Yet Jesus tells them, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they threw their nets aside and they followed after Jesus. Or Elisha, who was uh, basically, he was pulling his, or he had his ox that was pulling his cart. And in order to follow Jesus, or to follow God, Elijah, who was the prophet of God, Elisha sacrifices his ox, his oxen, and he burns the cart which was being pulled. You know what he was doing? He was burning his bridges to the past. In each of these situations, we see individuals who they are all in. They have made this decision. We're going to do whatever it is God calls us to do. And the reason is because if he's the one who's calling, that's our best option. They may have had a good life with what they had already. There may have been some really good things that were going on. But if God is calling me to go do this, then this is what I must do. You look at, you look at Amos, and Amos is just an ordinary man. But Amos knew that while it may be hard to leave this life behind, failure to stay in the center of God's will would be even harder for him. This was his priority. Second thing I want you to catch in this, still dealing with the messenger. Not only was he sacrificial, but if God could use a lowly, minimally educated shepherd, what could God do through you? You know, I think sometimes there is this expectation that if God's going to move, he is going to move through those who have authority, those who have wisdom, those who have been trained in a specific way, those who have a title. Yet here we're talking about a guy who is nothing more than a shepherd. Shepherds typically weren't the most educated people. Now there were exceptions and it's possible since Amos clearly has the ability to write. It's possible that Amos at least had some education. But it was completely irrelevant as to what type of education he had. You see, the reality is, if God calls you to do something, God will equip you to do something. He will not call you to something and then leave you to fend for yourself. So here you have Amos, who probably never imagined that God might call him to be a prophet. 
his dad was probably a shepherd and therefore he thought, well, I guess I'll be a shepherd too. And that's what his life was focused on. Until one day he receives a vision and he knows this is God's vision and this is something that he cannot keep to himself. God makes it very clear to him, you must share this. It's interesting. He talks about a vision that he has, but this vision that he has, it's, it's almost as if it's just words. It's not as if he actually sees anything. Can you really see a word? I mean, I just said a word. Did you see that word? It sounds confusing. This is what I want you to catch. Jesus Christ is the Word, and God is the one who spoke, and all of a sudden things came into existence. This vision that Amos has is specifically originating from the God who created everything. He knew that this was the best thing he could ever do, was to walk in obedience to God. Not all will be called to be a prophet, but I want you all to know that God calls every one of us to be ministers of the gospel. Not necessarily to be the preacher who stands up and preaches every Sunday, but God calls every one of us to be his instruments, his tools to bring his hope to the world that he loves. Maybe you don't have all of the training and all of the expertise of some of the other individuals. You know what? Sometimes you're better off without all Please don't get me wrong. Is Mary gone like here? All right, because she's probably going to not like this if she is. Education is not what makes an individual God's servant. The reality is God uses some of the least equipped people because he is the one who then does the equipping. And it's a great thing. Actually, there's a great example here. Not everyone will take this calling seriously. There's a great example of one who had the education, the pedigree. His name is Amaziah. It's actually recorded in chapter 7. We'll actually turn there in a few moments. But in chapter 7, Amaziah is introduced, and Amaziah actually stands opposed to Amos and the work that God is doing in him. If the Lord is truly sovereign, then we must live to please him first above all else. It means that sometimes I may rub you the wrong way when I'm in the pulpit, and it's actually okay. Because you're not the one that I'm here to please. It's God. Second thing that I want us to focus on here today is not only the messenger, but the message itself. Clearly, Amos has a purpose for sharing. God has a message for him. And I will tell you that it is a relatively unpleasant message. It is a message of judgment. It is a message of God holding people accountable for their sin it's not something that people want to hear, especially during a time of, you remember how I described their people at that time? It was a time of prosperity. Nobody likes to hear that there is judgment that's coming while there is prosperity. As Amos begins this address, he declares that the Lord roars from Zion. The Lord roars, that doesn't sound like a, a peaceful thing. The pastures dry up. He's a shepherd. He knows what it's like to have pastures that dry up. Eventually, your sheep will die. It will lead to drought. The top of Carmel withers. Carmel was a mountain that was lush. It had beautiful fruit that was growing on the top of it. But now, Carmel itself begins to wither. In essence, God's hand of blessing is about to be withdrawn. 
He has looked upon God's people and he has determined that what they are doing is evil. Remember, he is the one who sets the standard, which means he decides what's good and he decides what's evil. And he has looked upon his people and he has determined that what they are doing is evil. Maybe they thought they were okay, but God says they haven't measured up to the standard. I was doing some reading this week and there's an item, it's called the torch. It claims to be the world's brightest flashlight. It is currently being tested by the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's most powerful flashlight with 4,100 lumens of raw light power. It is supposedly 100 lumens brighter than the previous record holder. It burns so hot that it can ignite paper, melt plastic, and even cook an egg. Now that's a bright light. You can have it for $149, by the way. But the brightest light is not something that you find on a stick powered by batteries. It is found in Jesus Christ. Remember that God is the standard by which everything else will be measured. We talk about how bright a light is. Well, it cannot compare to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And in the same way, every single thing that we have in our world must be compared to him and his standard, not everybody else's standard. God expects us to live up to a certain standard, and if we do not, we will be held accountable. I will say that although this message is a difficult message, there's a very pleasant way that he presents it. Well, sort of. As Amos began to deliver this message, the people of Judah likely would have rejoiced over what he had to say. And what I mean by that is really found in chapters 1 and 2. If you look at the entirety of chapters 1 and 2, it's interesting. Amos doesn't begin by identifying the sin of God's people. He begins by identifying the sin of the neighboring nations. You see, it's always easier for us to look on judgment at other people's sins than to look at our own. There's a sense of arrogance, like, God, you, you know what, they, they deserve to be punished. Give them what they deserve. It's what they get for the life that they've lived. Sometimes God uses the sin of others as an opportunity to point back to our own sin. In this case, picture Israel and Judah as sitting in the middle of all this immorality and all around there are these nations that are doing incredible things that would displease God. Amos says what's happening out here is wrong. And what's happening out here is wrong. What's happening here is wrong. And finally he gets to the middle. And all of a sudden this message becomes far less comfortable. Because it was a lot easier when we were talking about their sin out there instead of what's happening right here in the middle. I will tell you that I'm not sure the people of Amos' day are all that different from many who are in the church today. If I stood here and told you how immoral and ungodly the world is outside of the church, many of us would be shouting amen. We would celebrate the fact that that's what the scriptures say, and it's true. You'd even shout, preach it, pastor, because you know that there is a sense of accountability, and we want God to hold people accountable for their sin. But what happens when we shrink the circle and realize that God also looks upon us 
And he sees our sin. And he wants to hold us accountable. It's a very pleasant thing. Very unpleasant thing. Remember I told you that this was a pleasant method of delivering God's message. And I use the phrase sort of. It's because the message being redirected toward them changed their entire perspective. Initially, they loved the image of God being just and righteous. Can you, can you picture the words that they would have said? Hold these people accountable. Give them what they deserve. We want them to be held accountable. But then, whoa, hold on, Amos. Couldn't you have just stopped where you were? You remember uh, Gary Coleman years ago? I think the show was Different Strokes. And he would say, what you talking about, Willis? I can almost picture, what you talking about, Amos? All of a sudden, they were very uncomfortable with what he had to say because here he is, he's sharing a message that nobody wants to hear. I talked about Amaziah earlier. Listen to the response of the godly priest, and I use the term godly very loosely, named Amaziah, as he hears Amos's message of God's judgment. It's in Amos chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. It says, Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. You're telling me that perhaps the most quote-unquote godly man in the entire kingdom is standing opposed to Amos and the message God has for him? And my response is absolutely. You see, the reality is sometimes it's a whole lot easier just to look at everybody else's sin and to think that everything's okay, but it's not okay. Everybody loves a prophet as long as he's saying what we want him to say. The Apostle Paul warns us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, of a time that will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Amos prophesied in such a time as, Tim, as Paul describes in 2 Timothy. And I believe that perhaps we currently live in such a time as well. We like the message as long as it makes us feel good or as long as it holds someone else accountable. I read something this week that talked about the role of preachers today. The author talked about all the pressures that are on the pastor to entertain, to be charismatic, to not offend the audience, and to somehow make everyone feel good about themselves by the time the service comes to a close. But what if God calls me to step on your toes this morning? What if God is looking at your life and he sees a sin that needs to be addressed. As a preacher, I would be doing an injustice both to God and to you if I failed to deliver that message. So listen, I don't know all of your sins, but God does. Some of you are sitting today in these pews covered with pride and arrogance. Some of you are sitting in your lustful passions, your sexual immorality, sitting with a heart of deceit. Some have sins that are more visible. 
Some have sins that nobody knows about except for you and God. But you can be sure of this, nothing escapes God's vision. He is very much aware of sin that you have allowed in your life. This is not a message of judgment from me, but it is a wake-up call for us to realize that God will hold us accountable. Know that he is a God of righteousness and justice. Remember, that's going to be the whole message throughout Amos. He is a God of righteousness and justice. That means that if we do not walk in his righteousness, he will hold us accountable. It's a part of his justice. He's not content leaving us in our sins. So he is calling us to repent. To go back and do the things that we did at first. Where you've allowed sin to reign in your life, it must stop. Confess it and allow the Lord to have his way in you. It's time to start over fresh and anew. Perhaps the most eloquent message ever preached was also one of the shortest messages ever preached. In fact, most of us wouldn't even consider it a message but the impact of it would say different. I'm talking about the woman who had been caught in adultery. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people, and this woman is brought to Jesus. He's reminded of the law and the fact that such a woman deserved to be stoned to death for her sins. It's really a tense situation when you think about it. Jesus is in a tight spot. If, if he says not to stone her, then he is guilty of telling people to ignore the law. But if he tells them to stone her, then he's not the compassionate, loving Messiah that so many people believed he was. So Jesus offers a simple 10-word response. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. In this statement, what Jesus was doing was redirecting the attention of the mob onto themselves. See, it's much easier to look at the sin of others and judge them. But we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. By the time this story ends, the angry mob has dispersed. Not a single stone has been thrown. And while Jesus doesn't condone her sinful choices, he does give her the opportunity to be made right with him. To now live the resurrected life. He says, now you go and sin no more. I would say that each of us needs to redirect our focus back to Jesus Christ. We need to stop looking at all of the other people around us and all of their sin. And maybe we need to look in to our own hearts where the Spirit of God supposedly dwells. Maybe there are things that you need to confess before the Lord and you need to bring before him your regrets, the shame, the disappointments that you have. Maybe you need to renew the commitments that you once made. Maybe you simply need to go back to the one who determined the standard of right and wrong to begin with. I'm going to open up the altar this morning and I don't always do this, but I want to open up the altar this morning. I know that this is not... One of those feel-good messages. Actually, I really do hope all of you walk out of here feeling great today, but because a heart of repentance has taken place.
because you know that you are right with God and you have made peace with him. But I, I want today, if you are not right with God, I want you to be uncomfortable because I want God to have his way in you and I want you to be made right with him. I'm going to ask everyone if you just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you know today that you are sitting in some type of sin and you know that it has brought displeasure to God and you know that he sees everything even if nobody else knows about it. Maybe you've seen the sins of others and you've sat in judgment upon them. Maybe you've excused the things that you do because other people do it as well. The world around us says it's okay. But God's word says it's not. I want to open up the altar this morning. If any of those things would describe you this morning, maybe today is the day that you need to respond with a heart of repentance and come forward and receive the forgiveness that he alone offers. He is a gracious, loving God. His goal in sending Amos is not to condemn the people, but to redeem the people. The same thing is true today. If that's you, the altar is open. I'm just going to leave it open for a minute. I'm not going to say anything else. I'll pray after a few moments. I invite you to come this morning if that's you. Father, we come before you today and we are grateful for your grace. We know that all of us have sinned at some point or another. We have fallen short of your glory. Many of us seems to be a, an ongoing struggle. Lord, I pray today that where sin has abounded, that your grace would be extended to us. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us and we know that it is your desire to forgive us. You have made it possible that if we would simply confess that you will forgive us. We know that. Lord, we don't want to continue in the same struggle and the same sin over and over again. We want to be made right with you. We want to live as those who have been resurrected, those who are right with you now. So Lord, I pray that you would be the one to grant us victory. We know that Sometimes we've sat in judgment unfairly upon others. Lord, I pray that you would judge us, that you would look upon our hearts. And where there is sin, I pray that you would help us to make it right. Lord, I pray for those who are here and perhaps we're still looking at the world around us and we're doing better than others. And, you know, other people say the things that we're doing is okay, so I guess it must be okay. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to see your will so that we would walk in your will, so that we would become a reflection of you. But I pray that you would help us to be transformed, not after we die, but today. Lord, I pray for the one that's at the altar this morning, just to ask that your grace would be extended. I pray that you would help the individual to sense your moving within her. And Lord, I celebrate the fact that you are still moving in our midst. Help us to leave this place filled with an incredible sense of peace and joy, knowing that our hearts are right with you. Lord, I know this is an uncomfortable prayer, but if there be one that does not yet have a right heart with you, 
one who is walking out, remaining in our sin. I pray that we would leave this place with an incredible discomfort that until we come before you with a repentant heart, we would not be able to experience your peace. Lord, I pray right now that you would move in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is a blessing to be able to share God's truth with you. And as I share the story of Amos, I am so excited about this series. This is a series uh, that I think will be beneficial to every single one of us as we will be able to learn. Uh, But at the same time, I believe what Amos writes to, he is writing to a people that's very much like the people of our time. Uh, I think this is very practical, and I think it'll be very beneficial. Hopefully, you'll be able to come and be a part of it as we continue through this series. Again, I thank you for being with us this morning, being a part of our service. As we close this morning, go with the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ.